Voice in the Wilderness, Internet Radio. Enlightening the world every week. It's not just knowing about the doctrine in the Bible. That is not what we stand for here. Streaming powerful, biblically-based messages live down the This congregation may never be gathered together again as we see it. Voice in the Wilderness, Internet Radio. Enlightening the world every week. Good evening. Welcome to Voice in the Wilderness Internet Radio. We are streaming live on the internet from London. This show is dedicated to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. On tonight's show, we will continue to discuss the subject, the Remnant Church. We will have the third of a four-part series studying what the Bible teaches about the Remnant Church. Our guest speaker is based in Maryland, in the United States of America. More about our guest after we've had some music. Feels the night 
And when you can't contain your joy inside, then dance for Jesus. Dance for Jesus. Dance for Jesus. And live. And with your final heartbeat, kiss the world goodbye and go in peace and rest on glory side rest in Jesus rest in Jesus rest in Jesus Remnant Church. We will continue to discuss this subject tonight with Elder Ray DiCarlo of Emmanuel Missionary Institute. EMI was established in 1992 by Elder Ray and his wife, Sister Judy DiCarlo. They have an educational ministry dedicated to the proclamation of the everlasting gospel, Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 to 12. For the past 30 years, EMI has been involved in teaching, evangelism, and literature distribution throughout the world. In our previous radio broadcast, we studied how the Bible gives the identifying marks of God's remnant church. We had seen that, along with other identifying marks, God's remnant church is composed of the last few remaining people on this earth who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. We have studied that these identifying marks are consistent throughout history, proving the truth of God's word. We also discussed that the keeping of the Seventh-day Sabbath is one of the special identifying marks of God's remnant church, as this commandment, as the sign and seal of God's government, distinguishes Christ from all the other false man-made gods in the world. To keep God's commandments means not just to hold but to defend the truth of God's word because Satan and his followers seek to rebel against them on this earth. Finally, looking throughout Bible history, we understood that the mission God has always given to his remnant church is to preach the everlasting gospel. This brings us onto our radio broadcast this evening. Let's now call Elder DiCarlo and see if he's available. Hello. Hello, good evening, Elder Ricardo. Welcome to Voice in the Wilderness Internet Radio, streaming live down the internet from London. Well, how are you this evening, Elder Ricardo? I'm fine, thank you, John. Praise the Lord. Glad to hear so. Well, it's part three of our four-part series, studying about the Remnant Church, Elder Ricardo, 
And this week, we'll be studying these questions together. What is the everlasting gospel of Jesus Christ? Why does the Lord send human beings as messengers to preach it? Why is the experience mentioned in Revelation 10 historically significant? How does this historical experience relate to the remnant church mission today? And what must we do to be part of that mission today? So, as usual, before we start our discussion this evening, shall we have a word of prayer together, please? Absolutely. Our Father in heaven, once again, we thank you so much for the opportunity we have to come together to study, to prayerfully consider a very, very important topic. We ask that you'll please guide us in our understanding that we may have a true, true vision of the truth. So bless, now we pray, John and I, and bless the listeners. And we thank you once again in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, Elder DiCarlo, this week now, we'll start focusing on the mission of the Remnant Church. And so starting off, what is the everlasting gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, as we're looking here at that uh, question, we're really looking at something that needs to be understood because, in my opinion, when you look at what's happening within uh, the Christian world and you look at the various denominations, now there's a lot of similarities, obviously, but there's a, a there are critical differences, especially when it comes to the issue of the gospel. Yes. And 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 you know the gospel is the heart and soul of of uh, of the message of Christianity. And uh, it, but I want to remind our readers in Ephesians four five, one Lord, one faith one baptism there's only one jesus christ yes there's only one savior there's only one faith that our savior is lord of there's only one baptism by which you enter into that covenant relationship with the lord jesus christ and so the bible makes it very clear though there are many voices in spousing various views regarding the nature of the gospel. God only recognizes the voices of those who tell the truth and are speaking in harmony uh, with the word of the Lord. Yes. Now in Revelation, or excuse me, in, in, in Mark, we looked at this last week, Mark chapter 16. And if you look there, it's very clear uh, what Jesus said. Ma Ma uh, Mark chapter 16, verse 15. He says this, um, go ye into all the world. He's talking to his church. He's talking yes. to his people. Go into all and preach the gospel, not a gospel, not an gospel, the gospel to every creature. Now, uh, what gospel is that? That's the question. And we're yes. looking at here a very, very important issue. And that gospel can only be found in terms of its clarity and certainty. In the book of Revelation, chapter 14, and, uh, <clears throat> and this is, uh, starts with verse 6 and, and, uh, and ends here in verse 12. Now, for our listeners, let's uh, break this down. So we're looking at Revelation 14, 6 through 12. The first angel's message uh, encompasses verses 6 and 7. The second angel's message 
is found in verse 8. And then the third angel's message is found in Revelation 14, 9 to 12. So that's just a simple breakdown of each of those uh, messages contained in the everlasting gospel. Now, some uh, just want to touch on this just briefly, but some of the newer translations and and various other translations that may not necessarily be new, but but uh, but the newer translation, especially uh, you'll find that they will uh, take out the word V regarding the the nature of, of the issue of the everlasting gospel. And they'll say an everlasting gospel. And of course, the is a definite article. An everlasting gospel clearly indicates there may be more than one. Yes. There could be others. But the uh, is a definite article whereby you cannot be mistaken regarding the nature of the subject that you are discussing. And then, therefore, it is the gospel. There is no other gospel. Yeah. This is the everlasting gospel. This is the gospel that Jesus said we should be preaching to the world. And so it's found right here in Revelation 14, 6 to 12. Now, a breakdown of those three angels' messages. And, and let's just quickly, we can, we're not going to be able to go through every detail, but just a quick breakdown. In in the first angel's message, we have four parts. There are four sections to the first angel's message. And so the first one is fear God. And so what does the Bible teach when regarding fearing God? So fear in in the Bible has many um, aspects to it, particularly in relation to God. For example, it could mean, it could be actually mean, and it does in some cases, to be afraid of God, literally. You better f- be afraid of him. He's powerful. He can consume you. He can. Remember, Jesus said, "You know, don't don't be afraid of those who can kill the body. Be afraid of the one who can kill your body and your soul yeah. and cast it into hell." That means him. <laughs> so, so, the, so there, there is a healthy fear. Yes. Um, and we we, we better realize who he is. So that's, that's one right. aspect. And then in Psalm thirty-eight or th- excuse me, 33 verse 8, it means it actually means to stand in awe of. So to fear God means to have a, an awe, you know, wow, he's awesome, he's powerful, he's incredible. So to stand in awe of. Job 1.1 and Job 28.28, 28, Proverbs 8.13, all teach, and there's others. Now, by the way, just as a footnote on this, I want to let our listeners know that uh, I, this is just a quick overview. We're, you know, we could yes. go, we could spend a whole session just on the first part, but they, but that last section of verses that I just referenced to you, John, they all talk about departing from sin, ensuing evil. Job one one. There was a man yes. in the land of us whose name was Job, who feared God and ensued. That's old English word. We don't use that anymore. Um, in, in but nonetheless, it just means to depart from, to turn away from. And so you find here another meaning to the word or the phrase fear God. It means to turn away from sin. And this is the primary focus of the first angel's message is to turn away from sin. God is calling you to repent. And then the next thing is to give God glory. Says In the first angel's message, give glory to him. 
Uh, and of course, Exodus 33, 18 talks about what it means to give God glory. To give God glory means really to reveal his character. Yes. Because remember, Moses asked God, show me your glory. Now, God could not manifest the fullness of his glory before Moses, for had he done so, he would have consumed Moses. And so God told Moses, uh, look, I'm going to do a couple of things here. One, I want you to turn your, your back towards me. I want you to look towards the this, this uh, crevice of the rock. I want you to hide, you know, kind of put in there. I'm going to pass by you, he says. You're going to see my image, my, my form in a shadow form to pass, will pass by you. Now, God also uh, articulated, he, he espoused characteristics of who he was. Now, remember, this is all in response. To God, show me your glory. So he shows an image of, of God uh, uh, to, to answer Moses. Uh, he passes him by. And then he, you know, he talks about his character. He's merciful, compassionate, loving, and so forth. And then the third thing he did is he wrote the Ten Commandments with his own finger on two tables of stone. And, uh, and so this is a direct response to the question. And what does all that entail? It simply tells you this, that God's glory is his character. Yes. It's a revelation of his will as manifested in the Ten Commandments. So if you really fear God, you will turn away from your sins and give him glory, which means you will manifest your his character in your life. Yes. So that's really what you're dealing with here. And by the way, just as a footnote too, and this I want to help people to understand what it also means to give God glory. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. And chapter 6, 19 and 20, and chapter 3, 16, 17, all talk about what it means to give God glory. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and through the, your body, you should glorify God. And he's talking about really the essence of, of health and the standard of, your, of, your, of health in relation to your body. Let me tell, explain to our listeners, they have got to understand something very important. <clears throat> your Mental, physical, and spiritual all have a direct link to each other. The physical and the spiritual go hand in hand. Uh, some people seem to think that I can do what I want, you know, act however I want, eat whatever I want, live a lifestyle however I want, and, uh, and, and uh, this will not have a, an impact on me spiritually. Well, that's not true. That's not true. What you, uh, what you eat, what you drink, how you live, what you listen to, what you read, etc., all of that has a direct impact. So yes. to give God glory is a manifestation of the character of God in your life, not in some things, but in all things. In other words, you're going to live, live that life that God requires. Then he says, the hour of his judgment has come. Now, that's the third part. And of course, that is a very fascinating subject, which I know, John, we've already covered that in detail in your broadcast. But um, again, Daniel 8, 14, unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. Yes. October 22 of 1844, the investigative judgment commenced and the hour of the judgment of God, whereby yes. he would use the standard of his, uh, of his law as the basis by which he would judge everyone's character. Anyone who professed to be a follower of Jesus Christ Regardless of what denomination, what, if they profess that they are followers of God, God says, I'm going to have to judge you then in the sense that I'm going to find out whether your profession is true or not. Yes. And the only way which I can do that is I have to use a standard by which to measure your words. And that standard is my character. Yes. 
as revealed in the Ten Commandments. And so through the investigative judgment, Christ, Christ measures each and every one. And through a process of investigation, he determines who's actually telling the truth and who's not. And so this investigation has been going on since 1844, and it will continue to the close of human probation, of which time we do not know the day or the hour. Don't let anybody fool you now. Once again, tell our listening audience, don't buy into anybody telling you they know the day when probation will close. They do not. However, I do want to clarify make this very clear we do know the signs of the times and we clearly understand that 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 uh, that things are heading towards a particular direction and it doesn't bode well for the world at large and so um we need to watch and praise jesus said because you do not know the hour of 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 when god may uh, call you in the judgment and then finally, the fourth part of the first angel is worship him who made the heaven and the earth and, and the sea and all that in them is. And of course, this is a call. Notice the, who made the creator. Christ is our creator, yes. heaven and earth. And so there we have a clear uh, uh, reference to the fourth commandment and memorial to creation. Yes. Um, and so here's the Sabbath message. Here's this message of creation, not evolution, creation. Here's a message that gives God the glory, not man the glory. And here's a message that exalts the only one who deserves to be worshipped because he's our creator. He is our redeemer. And uh, and uh, and he he has blessed us abundantly. Yeah. And so so that's really just a quick, quick summation of the first angel's message. Then you get into the second angel's message and they have two aspects to that. The wine of Babylon. We know, according to Isaiah 29, 9 through 12 and Matthew chapter 15, uh, 7 through 9, wine in the Bible prophecy represents false doctrines. Yes. But in Ephesians chapter 8, or excuse me, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 5, particularly verse 18, Paul says, be not drunk with wine. Now, it's very interesting because in the context of the argument that he's making in Ephesians chapter 5, he's talking about the works of darkness and the works of righteousness. He's comparing the two. Right. And so when he's telling you don't, don't get drunk with the wine, it's not the physical, literal wine that he's so much making uh, mention, but symbolically, he's telling you the wine represents the works of darkness. Yes. And so the wine of Babylon represents false doctrines and the works of darkness. So that's the second angel's message. And again, these things need to be exposed. Yes. We need to, to, to help people to realize there are errors that they need to avoid and that they should uh uh, uh, not follow in the paths of of the world of the world and the things of the world, but rather follow the paths of righteousness and truthfulness. And then you come down to the third angel's message again. Four parts, four sections yes. are, br- are brought into worshiping the beast. These are warning. These are admonitions. These are appeals. And of course, the beast here is no question, dear friends. Revelation thirteen one to ten, verse eighteen as well, because that's referring to the papacy. Yes. And then you know it's it's all about. Uh, uh, making sure that we don't follow and worship the beast. Because remember, worship is the great critical issue in the book of Revelation chapter, for example, Revelation chapter 13, 3, chapter 4, or excuse me, uh, verse 4, verse 8, verse 15, and then Revelation 14, 9. So 
Here you have clear evidence. It's all about a loyalty, allegiance, worship, homage. Who are we going to worship? If we don't put Jesus first in our lives, if we don't love Christ supremely, if we don't follow him and keep his commandments, inevitably, at some point, when the great crisis breaks forth to the degree in which the prophecies have indicated, you will then yield to the powers that be. You will not stand in the last great crisis. And so Satan is going to use political powers at the end of time to cause the world to worship the Antichrist. So this is what Satan is using these powers. And by the way, just as a footnote on this, he's not only using political powers, but he's working through secret societies, yes. Freemasons, the Illuminati, the Zionists, and, and the Jesuits, and many, many, many others. There's so many yes. uh, throughout the world. These, these organizations are not for the welfare of humanity. They are satanic institutions set up by Satan to bring about the ultimate demise of and destruction of the human race yes. and to usher in his reign. And so this is what it's all about. And then, of course, eventually in Revelation 13, 15 says things are going to get so bad um, that the powers that be will issue a death penalty for anyone who doesn't go along with worshiping the Antichrist. Yes. And so you can see how that that's very, very yes. critical. And then, of course, the second and third part of the third angel's message, his image. Revelation 13, 11 to 16. Uh, the image of the beast, John, we're going to make this very simple and clear for our listening audience. The image of the beast is not the mark of the beast. Let me repeat that again. The image of the beast is not the mark of the beast. However, there is a correlation. And let me explain. The image of the beast is the unification of church and state, a bringing together of two entities that should fundamentally stay separate and, and apart. Because all you have to do is look at history and whenever church and state united together, whereby the, the, the state became the uh, power broker for the church, um, they persecuted. You know, I just tell our listening audience, all you have to do is look up uh, Fox's Martyology. Um, and other books dealing with the Dark Ages, and you will find the true history of what happens when you unite with church and state. So the image of the beast is the unification of church and state. Now, now this is the this is the the forerunner to yes, the mark so. of the beast. Meaning, you have to have the unification to bring about the implica- the the implement- implementation of of the mark of the beast and what is the mark of the beast so, so it's a mark of authority papal authority in other words the mark of the beast and, and is a mark whereby the the papal power has claimed its supremacy over god and primarily the word of god and uh, and so they claim they're superior to the word of god that they are superior and their proof by the way of this this is their own words now not mine and you can look this up throughout the – just do some research, uh, Sunday Sabbath statements uh, from various denominations. But you can look up from the Catholic yes. Church. They claim their words. They claim that the fact that they changed the day of worship from Sabbath, Saturday, to Sunday is, is proof that they have power over the Bible, that yes. they are superior. So that's their mark of authority. And so they make that very, very clear. And so that's the third. And then finally, we come down to the fourth part of the angel's uh, message, uh, the fourth part of the third angel's message. And that is divided into two sections, the patience right. of the saints and the patience of the saints about endurance. It's about uh, really uh, following the Lord Jesus Christ in the path of self-denial. 
And then finally, the second part is the keeping of the commandments and the faith of Jesus. Psalm 119, verse 117 says that all thy commandments are righteousness. So that means if they keep the commandments by the faith of Jesus. So it means, dear friends, that what's happening is they are righteous by faith, the faith of Jesus. That faith that Jesus had is the faith we can have. And I would recommend that our readers uh, take the time, go back over Romans chapter four, and you'll find a wonderful chapter dealing with the means by which a person is justified. And it's not by the works of the law. It's by faith in Christ alone. And so that's just a quick summation. That's just a quick summation of the everlasting gospel. And so you can see that it's really, really power-packed. Yes. Yes, and listeners, there might be some listening for the first time who um, it may seem overwhelming because there was a lot of information that was packed into um, the first answer. But we've covered what Elder Ricardo has covered um, in previous radio broadcasts. He's just given a summary, in essence, of what we've shared before, basically. And, um, you know... One thing that I'd also like to share is that, you see, with the Word of God and with spiritual things, there's no either quick fix or no quick study, you know. And um, it's important to understand that you've got to understand the things of God point by point, step by step. And Elder Ricardo has just given an overview of what the everlasting gospel is, is in relation to um, the remnant church in its current mission at this time what it entails. So, just wanted to say that. And um, for previous listeners, you would have followed us as we studied um, the the Free Angels' messages in principle. Now then, seeing that what the everlasting gospel of Jesus Christ is, and as you've broken down what the everlasting gospel is contained in the Free Angels' messages, um, now, the practical question is, why does the Lord send human beings as messengers to preach it? Why didn't he send an angel to preach the gospel at this time? Mm, you, you know, when, uh, when that uh, question was brought forth, I thought, I'm very thankful that, uh, I thought to myself, well, I'm glad that John brought that up because this is something that needs to be understood. Yeah. You know, look, friend, I, I want to tell our listening audience, and by the way, John, you and I have talked about this on multiple occasions. You know, it's um, there are many reasons. Um, it's it's the and I'm going to read something in a moment from the from the scriptures out of Romans. But you know, there's the joy of the Lord working with God. There's the human yes. and divine element. Um, um, you know, He could have sent angels. There's no question about it. He could have sent angels to do the job, but. We have a work to do and cooperating with him. And it's all about learning uh, so many things about ourselves, about God, uh, exercising faith, yes. um, you know, learning to persevere and endure, etc. There's just oodles of lessons to be learned. Um, but, you know, it, 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 Romans chapter 10, in Romans chapter 10, uh, verses 14 and 15, Paul, Paul talks about, you know, 
the gospel going out. He says, how shall they, uh, let me see if I get the, yeah, how, how then shall they call on him? Meaning how are people going to call on God in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? Now, this is very, you know, he's saying, look, yes. if you've never seen him uh, and you've never heard of him, how are you going to hear him? How are you going to know about him? How are you going to understand? And he says, unless there is a preacher. And how shall they be, uh, pre- uh, and how shall they preach except they be sent yeah. as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring the glad tidings of good things. So here you find Paul uh, clearly talking about the beauty of God sending forth preachers. Now, as I said, he could have sent forth angels. Now, by the way, just as a little footnote on this and in Romans, excuse me, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter one, verse 14. Uh, Paul talks about the angels are ministering angels, ministering the gospel to the people. So they do have a part to play. I don't want to negate in any way the fact that, excuse me, (coughs) angels are a part of it. (coughs) However, (coughs) excuse me. (coughs) However, um, This doesn't mean that uh, humans don't have a part to play. <clears throat> they do. And there is a great responsibility placed upon the church because humanity has to touch humanity. See, angels don't understand the human experience. Yes. They don't understand the what you know uh, the, the frailty and and the and the and the um, let's put it this way they may sympathize they can't empathize <clears throat> so God angels can only play a part to a certain extent and God wanted the wanted the church to play its part to be the Lord's instrumentality. Yes. He wanted as a matter of fact Mark chapter 16 15 go ye he told you he chose us humans to go to the world and preach the gospel. And so humanity must touch humanity. And uh to me I think this is really important only because <clears throat> angels can't can't uh, they can only go so far in their experience in helping us. That's all. <clears throat> I'd also like to add to that as well, um, Elder Ricardo. Second um, Corinthians chapter four, verses four to seven. It says here, "But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world have blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them." Now, here is where it gets personal, because he says, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants, for Jesus' sake. And he says, For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, he says, have shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see? And so the apostle here is sharing that they preach the gospel because they, in essence, had experienced the gospel. Which amen, is, amen. You know, because, and he says, 
but we have this treasure. This is the gospel in in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. And these are some of my favorite verses because the gospel of Christ reveals the glory of God, his character. And the apostle was saying was that they had received Christ in their hearts. So they received the glory of God personally, which is his love and power. You see, you know, and and and, and, and it's it's a treasure to them. You see, so so, um, just thought to interject here as well. And um, just to share another scripture that again, that those that are sent to preach the gospel, these are those that have experienced the gospel themselves. And so, carry Amen. on, please, Elder. No, no, I was just saying, you know, this is this is exactly uh, the the issue. Again, it goes back to that the, the the empathizing and the and the fact that we know and we can experience the gospel. Yes. In that sense, I mean, you know, look from an angelic standpoint, the angels. Uh, you know, they they obviously uh, the holy angels did not uh, uh, rebel against God, and uh, they don't need redemption. They don't understand. You know, they they have witnessed the controversy. Yes, but um, they have not uh, come to that point of, of uh, such as we are. And so again, it comes back to that human experience. Yes. Only uh, only you know. <clears throat> When another human being uh, shares the, their faith with another human being, there is a uh, there is an element of, uh, of of that that the bond of humanity that that ties us together, that brings us together, um, and so there's a there's a point of identity, and there's a there's a there's a a um, element of um, of um, of oneness in that regard. Yes. So I think there is a divine purpose. There's no question. God chose humanity to, to be instrumental to help save humanity. Not yes. that we can't save anybody, but we can be instrumental in that capacity. But, uh, and so this is the divine plan. Remember it's the humanity and divinity yes. working together for the save saving of humanity. And so, uh, so this is the reason it's a, it's a very fascinating concept. Yes. On why we we uh, God uses human beings? Yes, truly, truly. It's uh, um, you know, it's 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 divine wisdom and love that's ordained it. Mm, mm. So now then, as we've covered those points, <coughs> now moving on. Why is the experience mentioned in Revelation chapter ten historically significant? Relation to the remnant church. Oh well, there, I'll tell you something right now. Revelation ten. So let's let's quickly go over there. Revelation the tenth chapter. Now you're looking at a very small chapter. It's only eleven verses. It's yes. obviously that's that's very minor. However, though this chapter, um, it's 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 fascinating because it opens up with the angel here, of course, representing Jesus Christ based on the descriptions given so it's really he's 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 coming down and and giving a message the little book in his hand is a book of prophecy because in the end it says thou must prophesy again yes. um it's a little book of prophecy we know that little book is one time sealed up so we know that that book is the book of daniel so so we know that so here is a message coming from the book of daniel to John, who symbolizes the church, 
who in return is really a movement that God would raise up um, and in order to bring forth an understanding of those things that were hidden in the book of Daniel. And so what happens is John is commanded by Jesus to consume the book. And in so doing, it would be sweet in the mouth, but bitter in the belly. So there would be a, a twofold reaction. One would be a very sweet and joyful reaction, but there would be, unfortunately, a bitter experience coming as a result of uh, of of uh, of misunderstanding some things yes. uh, in the book of Daniel. And so <clears throat> this is why he says, thou must prophesy again. Now, it's very fascinating that if you continue to read on into chapter 11, because I'm of the opinion that the first couple of verses here actually apply directly to the 10th chapter. Right. Uh, and the reason being is he tells them uh, in the verse one, there's given unto me a reed like unto a rod. That's a, that's a description of a measuring rod, like a ruler, st- you know, yes. you're measuring something, but it's not in terms of the seed, the length, so much as it's indicating uh, investigation. In other words, I want you to go back and reinvestigate a subject that you've misunderstood that caused you to have a bitter experience. And he goes on to tell them, he says, I want you to measure or investigate the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. And he says, but the court, which is out, outside and uh, out, the temple, leave out. In other words, don't investigate that. That's not what I want you to do. I want you to investigate the temple itself regarding the nature of the things that you misunderstood. Mm-hmm. I want you to go back, reinvestigate this subject. And the subject, of course, is the sanctuary. Uh, and, the, and the sanctuary that's referring to there is the heavenly sanctuary in relation mm-hmm. to the investigative judgment. There's an antitypical day of atonement, as, as, as the Bible makes it very clear. In the Old Testament, the Jews had experienced through the Mosaic laws that God had, had clearly given to Moses regarding the, the various uh, feasts and, and uh, holy days um, and ceremonial Sabbaths, as they were also called, to, to function in a certain capacity to help them uh, in understanding the gospel message. In other words, these uh, occasions, these special occasions, became object lessons. Yes. Uh, they were, in some sense, uh, like a parable, you know, symb- symbolically representing images and, and events and people and, and time and places and so forth. Now, all of it refers to Christ in some capacity, yes. and all of it uh, uh, functions within the capacity of op- operating of understanding his work of salvation. In this particular case, is talking about the investigative judgment. And so what happened during this period of time? And the Millerite Advent movement rose up in the 1830s and 40s. Yes. And in that period of time, in that period of time, a Baptist, by the way, just as a footnote too, I just want to make this clear. Uh, at this time, there were no uh, Seventh-day Adventists. Yes. Uh, that, that needs to be clear. Matter of fact, when William Miller began to preach, he was a Baptist. By the way, he died a Baptist. And so I just want to make that clear. So there were no Seventh-day Adventists. Um, the people who were setting the time for the Lord to return in uh, first, and uh, they believed in, in the spring of 43, and then the, then the fall of 43, and then, then the, uh, or, uh, the spring of 44, and then the fall of 44. Uh, th- th- what happened, for, they got all that, uh, the, at least in the beginning, the miscalculation incorrect regarding the 2300 days of Daniel 8.14. Yes. But they got that straightened out eventually. 
And then they, what they did was they misunderstood the word sanctuary, the cleansing of the sanctuary. And they thought it referred to the second coming of Christ representing him coming back and, and, uh, and uh, the consuming of the wicked on this earth. Yes. So there was a mis- misunderstanding. Now, all of this took place by people who were Baptists, Presbyterians, Episcopalians, Methodists, Lutherans, Catholics, etc. There wasn't a Seventh-day Adventist among them. However, though, from that experience, because they misunderstood, there was a great disappointment. Christ did not return in 1844, but what? But something did happen in October 22 of 1844, and that was the investigative judgment, the anatypical day of atonement. Yes. And so, so they went back and restudied the subject of the sanctuary, reevaluated it, and show, and lo and behold, that's exactly what happened. They found out they made a mistake. They corrected the mistake. From that great disappointment came out a little group of people in the 1840s and 50s. They assembled together and they said, let's try to see if we can understand these things compiled from Daniel and Revelation and see if we can go through and understand what's going on. And as a result of that, by the time you come to the 1860s and particularly 1863, you have a group of people who continue to follow the faith of the message that began in the 1830s and 40s. And it resulted in the, in the in the rise of the Seventh Day Adventist Church. So what happened here is you have a very specific historical event that's very important for this day because people don't understand the significance of Revelation twelve. Yes. Excuse me, I'm sorry, ten yes. in the rise of the uh, Advent uh, Millerite Advent movement in conjunction with Revelation twelve of the Remnant Church which is also dovetailed right into Revelation chapter 14, 6 through 12 in the proclamation of the three angels' message. Yes. If you don't understand the sanctuary message, and I'm not saying you have to be a scholar, but you need to have some general understanding of the sanctuary message, particularly the Dan- Daniel 8, 14, the 2300 days, you cannot fully comprehend the fullness of the, of the sanctuary of the three angels' messages. Uh, you 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 you, uh, you will never understand the hour of his judgment has come. What yes. does that mean? That means if it, you know if you have an understanding of the sanctuary, that message means everything then. But if there's a lack of understanding regarding these things found in Revelation 10, you can't understand the third angel's message. Yes, yes, and you see, <coughs> listeners, I hope that. <coughs> it's becoming clear to you that you need to become Bible students and that you need to take your time and ask the Holy Spirit to take you step by step through these events. And um, because, again, once we share, is that history is a Bible prophecy fulfilled and Bible prophecy is history foretold. And Elder Ricardo has shared what has historically happened in accordance to what God had predicted through the book of Revelation and the book of Daniel, you see. And so, um, and you know, Elder Ricardo, I was also reminded about the trumpets as well, how they Mm. dovetail Mm. between the events, world events, and and they are given as a timeline as well to help (coughs) us to um, have a right interpretation of of events, you know, that are outlined, you see. But obviously, this is not something to speak about now. But that, that came to my mind um, you know, um, as I was looking at this as well, you see, but, but the fundamental, um, 
matter is as it's the middle right movement in essence is that we're looking That's at right. here this is what Elder Decaldo sharing and um, it's, it's there in history another book is a great controversy isn't it that people can read if they want to have a, 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 a historical understanding of the event um, absolutely there are chapters in that book that explain the experience and you know written by Mrs. Sister Ellen G. White, Mrs. Ellen G. White, who was one of the individuals who was a living witness to the movement um, that's been mentioned here. So, um, so that's all that we can really say here for this time. Um, now, how does this historical experience relate to the Remnant Church's mission today? Well, I think that very uh, 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 it's important to see the, the the correlation, this wonderful movement that started in chapter ten. Yeah, it extends beyond that. Again, as I, I guess, really kind of took two, three, and four and kind of blended them in together, because it's important to see how that they both go hand in hand. Again, as I said, you know, when you're looking at this um, chapter ten, yes. You have to see, and 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 by the way, I was very, uh, I'm very thankful you brought up the the seven trumpets because in chapter eleven, in the eleventh chapter, the seventh trumpet. Uh, if you look at there with me, by the way, just let's go there, Revelation yes. chapter eleven, and he says the seventh angel sounded, and there was great voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ. He shall reign forever and ever. Yes. Now, this is very fascinating. So there's a transitional period now um, where Christ is going to take the reins into his own hands. He's going to rule now. Uh, and but, it, but what's fascinating now, if, if you look with me here, go down to verse 11. So the seventh trumpet is sounded. And he says, and the temple of God was opened in heaven so now we have again the temple of god same thing yes. that was just referenced in the earlier part of chapter 11 which is a direct uh um connection to the 10th chapter so the te the temple of god was opened in heaven and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament so that clearly tells you where where in the temple you are yes. you're not you're not in the outer court you're in the sanctuary but the sanctuary has two apartments and the first apartment is known as the holy place. Had three pieces of furniture. You had the uh, you had the, the uh, candlestick, the seven branch candlestick. You had the uh, table of showbread, and you had the altar of incense. Then there was a curtain that separated the first apartment from the second. And the second apartment, there was only one piece of furniture there. That was the ark of the covenant. And inside, like a treasure chest, if you'd open the lid, inside were the Ten Commandments. Yes. Um, and, uh, and uh, of course, this, this, this second apartment was called the Most Holy Place. Uh, and so here is where the high priest would go in once a year. And uh, there was a record of, an, of, of sin kept through the transferring of the blood from the sacrifice that was offered by the by the um, uh, the the participant uh, who came to the sanctuary service, and the priest would slaughter the animal um, and uh, and uh, capture the blood, and then through that blood transfer it into the sanctuary. Because the yeah. blood, the only reason the blood was uh, was spilled was because of the sins of the individual. 
And so there's yeah. a transference of the sins from the individual to the head of the animal, from the head of the animal and, and the spilling of the blood. And the blood, therefore, symbolically represented the, the transferring of the sins. And those sins were then taken into the sanctuary as a record of sin. And once a year, it was a cleansing process. And then through that, you had the investigative judgment, the, the anatypical day of atonement, or the day of atonement, historically speaking, uh, in the past. And so, so you have that mentioned here. Look, the temple of God was open in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament. So that's the most holy place. Yes. So he's telling you when the seventh angel uh, began to blow the trumpet. Yes. At the time of the investigative judgment of 1844. Amen. So this all dovetails right in for today. There's no question we have a message to preach to a dying world. Yes. And that message really is this. You need to get your life right with the Lord Jesus Christ. Put away your sins. Reconcile your life with your with whoever needs to, you know, there needs to be reconciliation with. Uh, uh, but more importantly, you need to reconcile your life with God. And uh, you need to prepare for the judgment, but also more importantly, too, because as a result of that, you need to prepare for the second coming of Jesus. And I want to encourage our listeners, this message that we, John and I are sharing today is vital. It is critical. It is the everlasting gospel yes. because the investigative judgment isn't about being afraid. It's not about, you know, oh, I'm, a, I'm fearful. I'm, listen, <clears throat> I'm going to just encourage our listeners. If you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have to understand something, dear friends. He's not in the business of condemning you. He's in the business of saving you. And the Father isn't a tyrant because Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Yes. So however Jesus is, that's how the Father is. The Bible makes it very clear. Jesus said, I didn't come to call um, uh, the righteous but I came to call sinners to repentance. See, in other words, look, a man who's self-sufficient or feels no need of Jesus isn't going isn't gonna to come to him. But a person who feels their need of God will, 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 will gravitate towards Christ. They'll call, they will follow him. And what we have to do and understand that, that Christ is calling us now during this time of the anatypical day of atonement that began in October 22 of 1844. And he's calling us to repent. Yes. He's calling us to come to him and, and let him save us from our sins. And in so doing, what's, what's beautiful is he becomes our advocate in the judgment. Yes. Look, John, let's be honest. You and I, let's just take you and I. John, in relation to the law, in relation to the law, you and I stand guilty. Yes. We are condemned. Yes. We have sinned and come short of God's glory. We can never, even no matter how hard we try, um, and even if from the rest of our lives, if we would have lived another hundred years, if perfectly keeping God's law, it would never be able to atone for our past sins. There's just no way. Nope. We would fall short of God's glory. And so... We need an advocate. We need a substitute, a surety. We need someone to take our place in the judgment in order that we might be found innocent. And so what does Christ do? To those who accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, he, he pleads his blood in behalf of the sinner and says, Father, I know, I know that they have sinned. They have broken your law. And your law, your law demands justice. But, Father, I have paid the price so that they don't have to pay the price 
and be condemned eternally forever in damnation. So in other words, you, the sinner doesn't have to go uh, and, and, and lose the opportunity of living a life of happiness eternally. And so he says, I plead my life. I plead my sacrifice. I plead my blood, my merits in behalf of this guilty individual who has accepted me as, as his savior, as his substitute, his surety. And I now stand as his advocate. And the father then, even though he knows we are guilty, but because we have accepted Christ as our savior, Christ's life now stands as our life. And God sees not our life, but Christ's righteousness. And, and so we are forgiven. Now, let me help people to understand something. Now, <clears throat> before probation closes, God is going to have a people on this earth who will perfectly reflect the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. They will follow the lamb whithersoever he goes. They will be fully obedient to the revealed will of God, yes. uh, and they will be perfect in character, not perfectionism, but perfect in character. And there will be a living demonstration manifested to the universe that through the enabling power of God, mankind, even in fallen nature, can live perfectly holy and righteous lives without sin. And and I'm not saying that they're, they're, they have never sinned. I'm saying that they have overcome their sins. And so, so we can be victorious and we can yes. live a holy, righteous life, but this righteous life can only be through Jesus Christ. Yes. So, I, so I want to encourage our listeners to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, uh, he will help you and you can have a victorious life right now at this very moment in time. You can live a holy, obedient life. And so this is the relevance, John. It's all tied in. It's all tied in together. Yes. Well, we'll have a break now, Elder DiCardo, and we'll come back with some closing thoughts. All right.
our listeners, we've been discussing part three of our four-part series, looking at the remnant church in the Bible. And this week we've started to look at the mission of the remnant church, and now we'd like to ask Elder Ricardo for some closing thoughts, please. Well, today we've looked at a very important aspect to the remnant church, and that, of course, is the proclamation of the three angels' message, the everlasting gospel. And uh, we looked at uh, various aspects uh, to that message, and uh, we saw that in relation to the historical um, movement that rose up in the 1830s and 40s, namely the Millerite Advent movement. And... uh, we saw very clearly how that when you look at Scripture, it harmonizes together so nicely how that this message must be preached to this world. And I want to let our listeners know, look, Jesus Christ is coming back. Something's wrong in this world, friends. Something's seriously wrong. And uh, we need to understand that, um, you know, This world can't keep going on at the rate it is going and think there are going to be no repercussions. You know, um, it's only a matter of time before the the levy breaks, as they say, because the cracks are everywhere. And so I just want to encourage our listeners um, to remember that, you know, there is a fourth angel that comes in Revelation 18, 1 to 4. And that fourth angel is going to join hand in hand with the third angel and repeat in some ways the second angel's message that Babylon has fallen. And as a result, the invitation is given, come out of her, my people. And today God is calling on each and every one of us to come out of Babylon and to make a stand, to to boldly represent him in this world. And I want to encourage our listeners that um, to remember that coming out of Babylon is one thing, but it's another thing to get the Babylon out of you. And so there needs to be a heart preparation. You need to get your life right with God. And I want to encourage our listeners, put your faith in Jesus and you can never go wrong. Amen. Elder Ricardo, let's have a word of prayer now as we close the discussion this evening. Our Father in heaven, once again, we thank you for the blessed privilege we have to come together to fellowship and to meditate upon the things that are so critical for these days. I know, dear Lord, that we have, each and every one of us, fallen short of your glory. We have, let, we have let you down, and for this we are sorry. We want to apologize and ask for your forgiveness. We do pray, dear Father, in Jesus' name, that you'll come and take our hearts and help us to remember your loving kindness, your compassion, your mercy. Lord, bless us now. Keep watch over us and help us, I pray, this day to be shining examples of what it means to be men and women in Jesus Christ. Now, Lord, comfort our sorrows, take away our, our, our loneliness and emptiness. And we once again thank you for everything. Bless us this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Elder DiCarlo, thank you once again for joining us, Voice of the Wilderness Internet Radio. Listeners, if you have any questions or if you would like more information, please send an email to inquiries at wildernesspublications.org or you can send a text message to 07944 
0628-062-786. If you live in the United Kingdom, please contact us with your name and address, and we will send you a free tract called The Two Families. If you have the Android app for Voice in the Wilderness Internet Radio, go to the ebook section, then find the title Bible Readings for the Home. At chapter 118, you will find the subject, The Two Families. This will give you more information about today's topic. You can also listen to and download our radio show podcasts at https colon forward slash forward slash voice dash in that's i n dash z t h e dash wilderness dot podcast page dot io forward slash. If you would like to support Voice in the Wilderness Internet Radio, then please send your donations through our website at vitwradio.org. Click on the page called About Us. You can donate to us there. On next week's show, we'll have our final part on this series, The Remnant Church. Well, that's it for tonight's show. Until next week, good night, listeners, and God bless. Voice in the Wilderness, Internet Radio. Enlightening the world every week. It's not just knowing about the doctrine in the Bible. That is not what we stand for here. Streaming powerful, biblically-based messages live down the internet. This congregation may never be gathered together again as we see it. Voice in the Wilderness, Internet Radio. Enlightening the world every week.